for. John Kiker is one of them. And uh, John, is his surgery went excellent. And I, I got to talk with uh, Rita. They couldn't have felt like it could have gone any better. And he's going to be in the hospital for a couple more days. And then they're going to stay in Albuquerque for a few days. He was in a lot of pain yesterday. And they're asking for us to please pray that he gets relief from pain. But very, very happy about the surgery. And then Pansy, uh, Cody gave you a little bit of information on that. They are going to be taking her, her family's taking her today to a rehab center, but the plan is for her to be back in a couple of weeks. So they're not, they're not moving her away for good or anything like that. And uh, Pansy, uh, I talked to Kelly Shaw, and she said thank you so much for the prayers uh, and for the calls. She wasn't able to call everybody back, but she appreciates it a lot. I am so looking forward to Mountain Family Fellowship and hope you plan to be a part. Even if you're visiting from out of town, maybe you could extend your vacation a little longer. You just say, hey, let's stay a few more days and stay around until next week. We're going to be talking about the kingdom. The kingdom is here now, right now, and we get to be a part of it. But not completely yet. We're also looking forward to that day when it's realized fully in heaven. And so that's going to be a great weekend, and I hope you'll plan to be a part of that. Um, we are finishing a series of lessons today called Good and Beautiful about the Bride of Christ. It's about the church. It's about the church. I've really enjoyed us studying about this and thinking about it. I just want to go back through and just mention some of the things we have discussed. And if you haven't got a chance to listen to some of these or any of them, they're all online. You can go to our website and I think you'd be blessed by hearing uh, the teaching by, by all of us who've done some of this teaching. There's been several who've, who've participated. We've said this about the bride. First of all, the bride, she is peculiar. She's peculiar. She doesn't just look out for number one. She does strange things for other people. She cares about others. And, and she's creative in looking out for other people and not just herself. We said she is hopeful. How is she hopeful? Well, while the rest of the world is offering you get what you deserve, she offers grace. While the rest of the world says, read a self-help book, and maybe if you do this right enough, and you can get well. But what she offers is true change from the inside in our hearts to the outside. She's loving. We studied that scripture. They'll know you're my disciples. By what? By your love. That's how they're going to know. And so as we love others, as we serve them, as we care about them, the bride is good and beautiful. Wyatt helped us think about that she is peaceful. That she's full of peace. Peace that passes understanding. And how can she do that? Because she knows the gospel. She knows the good news. She knows that she's saved. She knows that she's going to be with God soon. She's not trying to work her way to heaven. She's trusting God to get her there. We study that she's reconciling. While the rest of the world fights with each other and you poke me in the eye once, I'll poke you in both eyes twice. The bride of Christ, she is reconciling. She is working things out with each other. She is not holding grudges. And we talked about that she's encouraging, that when we come together, that we don't just come together, as Mike prayed, thank you for your prayer, Mike, that we don't just come together to do some rote prayer or to check off a list or to say, I took communion, now I did my deal today and I can get out of here. We don't just do that. David Fraze helped us realize every time we come together as the body of Christ, we come to encourage one another. That's why we're here. 
We talked about the fact that she is pointing. She's not pointing at other people. She's not pointing at the world out there. She's not pointing even at herself. She's pointing at her groom. She's pointing at Jesus. And when we do, we are good and beautiful. We are what God has called the church to be. And these are all good things that we could think about and, and, and meditate on and, and ask God to help us in our life and all these things. They're nice, a nice sermon series, I guess you could say. And that's good. That's all right. But I just had to finish this series by asking myself this question. And I wonder if you ever asked this question. Why does the church exist? I wonder if you ever think about that. I think there are lots of people who don't. I think lots of people just go to what they're in the habit of doing and go where they're in the habit of going. And and they don't necessarily think about that. But I think it's a great question for us to ask because the answer to this question leads to the way we live. It leads to what we do. I think there are some things that I have seen through the years and uh, of why people have said this is why the church exists. And they probably wouldn't answer the question this way, but by the way the church emphasizes and acts and preaches and sings and lives among each other, we'd see at least these three things. There's probably a lot more, but I'm going to just give you three that I think I've seen in my lifetime. One of them is this, that we exist for morality. I mean, we're the salt of the earth, after all. We're here to preserve. We bring good. We help people to be good. We talk about behavior. We talk about the way we should act, the things we should do and the things we shouldn't do. And it's about morality. That's one of the things, oftentimes the church has existed for that reason, spoken or unspoken, I think that's been one of the reasons. Another reason that the church exists is for beliefs, beliefs. It's important to know what we believe. It's important to know what the Bible says. And so many churches, many times the church has existed so that we could help people know what is true, so we could help people know what they should believe and what they should not believe. It's been one of the main reasons people have answered this question, why does the church exist? A third one is this, to give people a place to worship. We're thankful to God. We're thankful for what He's done. And so we give people a place to come on Sundays so they can thank God. And they can go through certain things, certain acts, certain things that we do. And that can be their place of being able to say to God, we love you, we thank you. And I'll tell you this, some people through generations have been attracted to the church through these things. Some people have said, oh, I want to know what to believe. Some people said, oh, I need to behave better. Some people have said, oh, I want a place where we worship and we worship the right ways. And so these have attracted some people to the church. But I will tell you this, and I think you already know this, many people are not interested not interested. And, and part of it is because I think of the way that they see these things. Now, I'm not saying it's all our fault. I'm not trying to make us feel bad today. I'm simply saying I think the world sees maybe some exaggerations of these things. Perhaps it's exaggerated 
Because they know one person at a church who has exaggerated some of these things. And many people in the world, many of my friends, I have lots of friends who aren't Christians. I love hanging out with people that aren't Christians. That's great. That's what we're supposed to do. That's what we're supposed to be. And many of them have not said it in this exact way, but these are the kinds of things, the categories, I would say, that instead of them seeing that we're trying to help people with their morality, that they would say, we're interested in uniformity. That everybody at church is supposed to act the same, look the same, do the same. And if you show up at church and you're not wearing the right clothes or you're not carrying the right Bible or you're not saying the right answers like everybody else, you're not staying in step, then you're out. It's not a very compelling thing for some people. Some people look at the church and they say, Not that she's trying to help me know what to believe, but instead she is judgmental. That she is saying, look, we're here to find out what's right and what's wrong. And by the way, we're right. Not that we're on a journey to know more about what's right and we're here together and we're learning. Not that, but we're right. And if you don't believe like we do, then you're wrong. Okay? Well, people feel pretty condemned in that. Or we're here to find out who's in... And who's out? By the way, we're in, just in case you didn't know. And if you believe like we do, then you're in. But if you don't, then you're out. And we become this judgmental group. That has happened in some places and sometimes. Sometimes the world has not seen that we're trying to give them a place to worship and thank God. But instead, they really see that our God is too small. They say, you're telling me that this is the only place for one hour? You're supposed to come here and you have to do these things exactly this way? And if you don't... You can't know God? That's, how, that's who God is? He's just that big? And the world is saying, I want something more than a building and a few rules. Many people have not been interested. But I want to tell you this. I know this. Everyone. Wait, wait, wait. Let me say this again. Many people have not been interested. But everyone wants to know God. Now, they may not know they want to know him. They may be trying to find or numb that or find other ways or, or, or find substitutes, but everyone wants to find God, to experience Him, to know Him. Look at how the Bible says it. He has made everything beautiful in His time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from the beginning to end. God has put something in the heart of men and women that yearns yearns and wants to know him and experience him and be close to him there is something inside of people and so if god made people that way what is god's plan for the world to know him well his plan is that he sent somebody and that guy's name was that's his plan he sent jesus god so loved the world that he gave or he sent his one and only son Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. This is his plan to know God, Jesus on earth as a baby. Jesus on earth as a boy with a family. Jesus as a teenager in a community called Nazareth. Jesus as a young man working in a carpenter shop. Jesus as a teacher and a friend of the most unlikely people in the whole world. So that that we could know God. For that reason, he sent Jesus eating 
and drinking and laughing and singing and crying and feeling angry and feeling sad and feeling joy and love so that everyone could know him. He sent Jesus Christ. That is, he sent God with skin. That's what he did. He sent God with skin. He said, call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Theologians call this a word, and we're going to say this word in just a minute, just to make sure you're awake. So everybody wake up. The word is incarnation. That sounds like a kind of milk to me personally, okay? Incarnation milk or something. But here's the deal. That word incarnation, let's, let's just say it on the count of three so everybody knows that we remember that word. On the count of three, one, two, three. That word means that God became a man. That that word means that God is with us. That, That word means God with skin. See, Philip spoke up for all of us when he said this to Jesus. Jesus, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. That's what we want. We want to see God. We yearn. We've got this place in our heart. Just show us, Jesus. And this is Jesus' response. You know what he said. Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. Jesus says, look, look right here. Look at me. Here's the plan for this yearning in your heart for you to see God. Here's the plan. Me, God with skin. And it's a good plan. It worked, didn't it? Because through the life of Jesus, we find out a lot about God. We find out that he loves everyone. We find out that he is relational, that he serves and he gives. We find out that he doesn't care too much about stuff. We find out that he doesn't care too much about what powerful people think of him. As a matter of fact, he doesn't care too much about what anybody thinks of him. We find out through Jesus that he takes this right here pretty serious, the word. And not just knowing it or reading it or memorizing it or going through it, but doing it. The hard parts, the parts we don't want to do, God takes it pretty serious. We find out that God wants to be with us so much that he will sacrifice anything to open that kind of door. Even lay down his life, even put his skin on a cross, God nailed to a tree, saying to the whole world, I want to be with you. That's the plan, and it worked. It worked really well. The Pharisees even recognized it was working when it was going on. Before it was even complete, the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. The plan works. God with skin. People want to find God, and that's what they see in Jesus. And so when Jesus leaves the earth, was the plan over? No, the plan wasn't over. Because Jesus left two things behind. Two things behind. You might say, well, I thought he just left one thing behind. No, he left two things behind. You know what the first one is. He said it in John 16. I tell you the truth, it's for your good that I'm going, to, that I'm going away. Unless I go, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. The Holy Spirit. He says, I'm going to leave the Holy Spirit here on this earth. And that's going to be part of the plan. To keep the plan going. God with skin. But here's the other part. And you're probably way ahead of me. I hope you are. You. You are the other part. 
that God left. You're the part. You're God with skin. Look at what he says in 1 Corinthians. Paul writes this to the church in Corinth. Just as Mike prayed this morning about that messed up group of people in Corinth. And look what God has to say about them. You are the body of Christ. And each one of you is a part of it. You're the body. See, the earthly body of Jesus has left the planet. But his plan just keeps going on. The church, the bride, is representing him. He was the incarnation. She is incarnational. She is the body of Christ. She is God with skin. That's who she is. That's why we exist in this world. Is to be God with skin. Because people yearn to know him. They want to know him. And I just want to give you three ways here. As we talk about those three things. Morality and belief and worship. A place to worship. We talk about those. Let me give you just three. Maybe shift our emphasis just a little bit. Because those three are good. Let me just, let's just shift them and, and see if this helps us a little bit. So maybe the world will sit up and hear the bride crying out. Come for a free cup of water. Because that's what Revelation says. The bride and the spirit say, come. Here's the three. Three ways for us to better represent him. How about heart before morality? Morality is on the outside, it's behavior. Heart is on the inside. It's our intentions and the things that we value and love and mean the most to us. Jesus said to Matthew, follow me. Did he say, Matthew, look, you need to stop doing a bunch of stuff and you need to, you, you, as a matter of fact, you've been cheating everybody and you just need to quit doing all that. And if if you can get the answers right on that test, and if you can get your act cleaned up, then come follow me. No, he just, he just saw somebody who had a heart, and he said, come follow me. And you know what happened? The morality fell into place. This week at camp, at Mountain View Camp, a little boy named Case. He's not a little boy, he's a young man. He's 13 years old. And Case has been coming to camp for all these years that we've been having Mountain View Camp, as long as he's been able to. Case doesn't go to church anywhere. Mike prayed a minute ago for... Mike, if you didn't notice, I was listening to your prayer, man. That was great. That was a great prayer. Thank you. Mike prayed a minute ago for these kids that would hear the good news. Well, Case has been coming year after year. He didn't go to church anywhere. But he said this year, I want to be baptized into Christ. And we were like, that's great. And I was just, I was just thinking, that's great. And I was starting to you know, go off and do something else. And somebody tapped me on the shoulder and says, Case wants you to baptize him. And I thought, what an honor. That I would get to do that. That Case, these years that we've been out there. That he knows who I am and he wants me to do this baptism for him. So I sat down with Case and we talk a little bit. We're going to talk about baptism. We're going to make sure he understands how beautiful it is. How awesome this thing is that he's about to do. How it's a lifelong commitment that he's stepping into. And, and before, I always do this with people when I talk to him about baptism. Before, before he got baptized or before I started even telling him any scriptures or anything. I just said, Case, tell me about why. Why have you decided to get baptized? And that little 13-year-old lip quivering, maybe he was scared because the preacher's asking him a question. You don't want to get that wrong, right? 
But I don't think so. I think his heart was connected to his lip. And his lip just quivered and he said, I love God so much. I want him in my life. I want to do whatever he tells me to do. And I've been wanting to get baptized for a long time. And we still went on and we talked about some things in the scriptures. But let me tell you something. If we hadn't, it wouldn't matter because his heart is ahead of the rest of it. That's where it starts. From the inside toward the outside. Not pressed in on the outside by rules and morality and then hoping our heart changed. No. Starting with the heart and then fruit gets born. Things grow out of our life when the heart is on track. Let's start with people with their heart. Let's not be so quick when people aren't living moral lives to say, you know you're not supposed to do that. You know you're not supposed to dress that way. You know you're not supposed to live with that person. You know you're not supposed to smoke that, don't you? You know you're not supposed to whatever. We've been so quick to out. Most people already know that. They're looking for God. They're yearning for the Lord. Let's, let's let them have their heart move toward Him and let's stand beside Him while they do that. And let God and the Holy Spirit and the church help as their morality begins to change. It's God's business changing people. We are not policemen. What if we let people belong before they believe? Jesus said to the woman caught in adultery, Did he say to her, tell me real quick all the things you believe and let me make sure they're right. Oh, I don't condemn you then. No. He just said, nobody's condemned you. I don't condemn you either. He's saying, you know what? Here's the deal, sweetie. You belong. Come on. You belong. Now, he fills in some gaps after that. Some people believe, and we don't know because the text doesn't say, but some people believe that maybe... The woman caught in adultery was Mary Magdalene. She might have been. Whether she was or not, Mary Magdalene, same thing. Mary Magdalene had seven demons taken out of her. She belonged, and then she believes. Paul and Woody Kay are a couple that come to our church in the summers from that really, really hot state just east of us. I can't think of the name of that place where that is, but they come over every summer and they hang out here in the cool pines for a little while. They become a part of real part of our church family like a lot of you have as well. And about two or three years ago, Paul and Woody Kay asked me if I'd pray for their friend. His name's Van. Van's their neighbor. And they said, hey, Van, why don't you come over, hang out with some friends with us? And so he did. They're in the neighbor, and there's some cars parked over there, and there's people having a good time. He came over, and he sat through this small group. They kind of tricked him because he didn't know it was a small group, all right? And when it was over, they said, hey, we're glad you came, Van. And he said, well, I am too, but I, I really don't believe this stuff. And they said, that's okay. You don't have to believe any of this. Just come be a part. Come be our friend. Come enjoy the food and the drinks and the fellowship and the laughter. Just come on. 
He said, really? You mean you'd let me come over here even though I don't believe this? He said, sure. You're our neighbor. You're our friend. Come on. Come and be a part of it. I got an email on uh, June 18th from Mary, from uh, Woody Kay. And she said, after a couple of years of belonging, Van gave his life to Christ. The believing followed the belonging. Sometimes we've been so quick to say, well, that person doesn't believe the same as we do. That person doesn't think this and this and this. And that person doesn't think, I read a book about this. And that person disagrees with me. And we've just been ready to kick those people out. Like, we all got to all believe the same thing. I can't find anybody who believes the same thing I do. None of you believe the exact same thing I do. And every single one of you that's married, you don't believe the same thing your husband or wife believes. You want to say you do, you're lying. Okay, go ahead. We'll have a time to repent. And just That'll be fine. Belonging first. Belief second. And lastly, what if we shared life together before we just said, come to a place of worship? Jesus said to Zacchaeus, hey, get down here and go to church with me. No, he didn't say that. He said, Zacchaeus, come on down. I'm going to your house. We're going to eat. And I just wonder if I could encourage you this week to think that each day when you're working and playing and paying your bills and buying groceries and every day that you're interacting with people, can I encourage you this week to remember or to realize maybe for the first time you are a part of the plan? You are God with skin. And something is happening when you talk to the cashier at Thriftway. When you interact with the waiter at Casablanca. When you pay for your gas at the brewer station. Or when you mail a letter at the post office. Or when you invite a neighbor over for dinner. You are living with these people in our community. And you are the bride among them. And you, she, she is incarnational. She is God with skin. So be aware You don't have to have a plan that I'm going to go to this spot and talk to this person about this subject. Just be aware and ask and pray to God. Open my eyes, God. Help me to be in the moment. Help me to slow down. Help me to be intentional. Help me to be Jesus. I was driving to church this morning and I turned on the radio and First Baptist uh, had their radio program on and they had a guest speaker. I don't know who it was, but he told this story and I thought, I got to tell you guys this story. Because this is what I'm talking to you about today. Told a story about a guy named Bill. And Bill was just a selfish, rotten guy that nobody liked. He didn't even like himself. And someplace along the way, he heard the gospel and he became a follower of Jesus Christ. And everything changed. His whole life changed. And, and he began to make his life not about himself, but about other people. And he began to serve. And he began to laugh. And he began to invite people into his home. And he began to share. And he started going down to a mission in the town he lived in. And he would be there at that mission. And he would, he would spend time serving people and getting to know people and loving people. 
And one day when Bill was at that mission, they had a worship service. And the preacher stood up front and he preached. And at the end, he offered an invitation. And one of the people at that mission that was a, a homeless person who really had never gone to church, didn't really know what was going on. He just said, he said, you know, they, the guy said, come down front. So he came down and, and he knelt down at the front in front of a chair and he just started praying out loud. He didn't know what the rules were. You know, you're supposed to turn in your card and get it read by somebody. And then we, okay, he just started praying out loud, kneeling down. And he said, God, help me. Help me, God. Help me be like Bill. Help me, God. Help me, help me to love like Bill does. Help me, God, to, to serve people like Bill does. God, change my life like you change Bill's life. Help me, God, to smile like Bill does and laugh like Bill does. Help me, God, to just be a person like Bill. And the, he's praying out loud. And the minister went over and he said, he kind of tapped on the shoulder. He said, don't you think that'd be good if you were praying, help me to be like Jesus? And the guy kind of looked up. He said, is he like Bill? <laughs> Woo! May our lives be so much like Jesus that people are saying, that looks like God with skin on it right there. And I want some of that. I want to be like that. Oh, is that like Jesus? Yeah, I want that. Now, I got to, I got to finish. And, and we just, I got five minutes here, maybe a little bit more, just because I got to finish because there's one other group of people I got to talk to as we finish this series. And I've been looking for a place for all these two months to put it in, and I couldn't find it. So here it is, okay? Here it is right here. I got to address the people who say, well, I'm a Christian, but I'm not interested in church. Now, they're probably not here because they're not interested in church, okay? But I'm going to say this to you guys because maybe some of you are. Maybe you're on vacation and some of you are like, you know, well, I had to come with my family or whatever. Maybe some of you just here one time and, and maybe you know people like this and maybe you can share this idea and this thought or this scripture with them. Here's the scripture right here. 1 Corinthians 12, the body is a unit, though it's made up of many parts. And though its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we're all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we're all given one spirit to drink. Now, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot says, oh, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body was an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, they are many parts, but one body. It's kind of a funny picture. I mean, I, we read it and we're like, we've read that so many times and we've got all the theological things to go with it, but it's kind of a funny picture. If we were just one big eyeball, that'd be ridiculous. And a lot of churches do that. They get everybody that's the same all together and nobody not like us. Oh, whoa, those people are like feet, man. They smell weird and they wiggle their toes. Get them out of here. You guys go down the street where there's feet. We just got eyes here. We're just an eyeball. Some churches do that. I pray to God at Gateway we don't do that. We got all kind of diversity. We got people that are weird here, man. Some of the people here, I'm like, you guys are weird. And thank God you're here because that's part of the body. I'm thinking that's what the eye probably says about certain parts of the body. That part is weird. I'm glad I'm not like that. We're a body. We're a unit. We're not all the same. Now, here's the deal. If you're a Christian, but you don't want to be a part of a church, the scripture has a couple of things to say to you. First of all, this is the first thing. Listen up. This is pretty important. Too bad. Too bad. You are part of the body. God added you to the body. If you're a Christian. You can choose if you want to not attend assemblies, but you're still part of the body of Christ. 
And here's the second thing. If you're a part of the body and you separate yourself off and you just say, well, I don't need to go to church. I can just go out in the woods or I can go play golf or I can just sit and listen to the TV or I can just read my Bible. And I think all those things are great. And I think God's probably in all those places. Okay, except maybe in my golf game. But otherwise, in all those other places, I think God's probably out in all those places. That's good. But there's something when you do that that's not good that happens. And here's the way I want to illustrate it. I don't want you to ever forget it, ever. This is the story I want you to share with your friends. When anybody ever says that, you go, oh, I got to tell you about what my preacher did one time. Okay, first of all, I got to ask you a question. How many of you are disgusted by cows? Okay, raise your hand if you're just disgusted. They just creep you out. Okay, nobody. I, I, I'm, I'm afraid to be at least one cowophobia, but there wasn't anybody, okay? Now, if I put like a snake up there or spiders or cockroaches, oh, you know, no way. That's gross. Those things are sick, okay? But not with a cow. That's not the way. When we think of a cow, we think of milk or hamburgers or new shoes, you know, or whatever, something like that. And even if you, even if you go out in a field with some cows and you go and you're around them and you see them sleeping or standing there or, you know, they're eating or licking something or whatever you're just like no big deal it's just a cow yeah it's a cow okay whatever but i want to ask you this question i'm gonna i'm I'm about to do this okay i wasn't sure if i was going to do this i've been thinking about it for eight weeks but here i'm going to do it because i want to ask you even though you don't think it's a big deal when you think and see a cow how do you feel about this how do you guys feel about that what do you think does it seem kind of gross? I, some of you are like, that guy should not be doing that in church. He cannot hold that up. You cannot have a cow tongue in church. That is against the rules. Some of you are so grossed out, you're like, I can't even, I mean, I can't even eat today. Now, there's some others of you that are like, put that baby on the grill, you know. And you're the ones that really creep us out, okay. We, we are the, we're worried about you. That's what's, that's what's scary. Why does this creep us out? It's creeping me out that I'm holding this thing. Why does it creep us out? I'm going to tell you the easy answer because it's not connected to the body. And that isn't right. It's supposed to be connected to a cow. I'm just going to lay that right there. You can just, you can just deal with that, all right? For the rest of this, end of this little lesson here, I'm going to clean my hand off and not... I'll be glad to shake anybody's hand today who wants to shake hands. You remember that first girlfriend or boyfriend? Can you remember that far back, some of you? You remember? And some of you young ones, can you just hope for it, you know, one of these days? Can you remember that? You wanted to hold her or his hand so bad. And, you know, the Beatles wrote a song, I want to hold your hand. Okay, why? Because we want to hold her hand. We want to be close, man. I'm attracted to that girl. I want to hold her hand. And you know, it's like, or, or there's so, you know, you wanted to kiss those sweet lips, right? You wanted to kiss those lips. And there's songs about that. First time ever I kissed your lips. And there's all kinds of songs about kissing. And man, that's part, of, that's part of how God made us. We want to be close to that person that we're attracted to or that we love or that we're married to or whatever. So here we go. I want to hold your hand. But what if that guy just chopped his hand off and sent it to you in the mail? You wouldn't want to hold his hand anymore, would you? You'd be like, that guy's sick. Well, why? Because it's not connected to the body. If that girl just cut her lips off and said, here you go, kiss them all you want. No, I don't want to kiss those because they're not connected to the body. There's something wrong when part of the body is not connected to the body. This is how God intended it to be. If you're a Christian, 
You're a part, so stay connected to the body of Christ. I'm just going to finish today by saying this. The church has come on some pretty rough times, I think, in our world, in America. A lot of people criticize her, and some of them have some good reasons. Lots of people mock her. They'll have to answer to God for that. Many people say she's irrelevant. She has no impact on our world anymore. But I'm going to tell you this. I say she's good and beautiful. That's what I say. I say she's peculiar and she's full of hope. I say that she is loving and encouraging and that she brings the good news. I say she's the only place where we can find reconciliation with God and each other. I say she's pointing us toward the only hope that we have toward her groom. And I say she's still God's plan. I say she's God with skin and that we get to be a part of that and invite all people to come get a free drink of water. That's the good news. You know what? Many ignore it, but millions respond. Millions respond to her still today. And this one guy right here in this video as we finish is going to say thank you to you for being the good and beautiful bride of Christ. Watch this video. This is to the bride of Christ. I wanted to say thanks because Lord knows my family needed you. I remember at 11 years old being told my father diagnosed with cancer. Man, we prayed and prayed, hoping there'd be an answer, but the answer never came. And I remember standing in the rain, watching as they lowered the casket, thinking only God is to blame for this pain. Feeling frustrated and hurt, I wanted to walk away from the church until the Lord pointed at me and said I was the one who needed to heal. And it was the church that brought my family pre-cooked meals. And it was the church that showed up and shingled my mother's roof. It was the church that helped me be a man. Even in my teens, as hormones started to mess with my dreams, it was the church that helped me find grace in Elohim. So it seems to the bride of Christ, I owe a thanks. Even when I wanted to walk away, when your answers didn't match my questions and your truths didn't justify my living. See, I was happier sinning, but like a spinning top when the spinning stop, my world would drop. Broken and alone, I would find myself at your doors and like the prodigal son, you would embrace me in your arms. And now at a time when it's easier to put blame on your name, church, the problem with God, church, the problem with Jesus, church, we even have people saying, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but not the church. Like saying, I believe in breathing, but not oxygen. See, we were never created to be single-celled organisms. We were designed to need one another, to encourage, to build up, to sharpen. See, your problem isn't with the church. Your problem is with your concept of church, where we put traditions over theology, rules over relationship, music over worship. See, we're more concerned about treating church like a social club than seeking after the Father's love. The last time I checked, we were called to bear with one another in love, that in Christ we are one. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father who is over all and through all and in all. Yes, to the bride of Christ, I owe a thanks for being there, for being the hands and feet, for being the guidance in my defeat. See, it's easier to judge a book by the cover, the church from the outside. But when we open the pages and discover the church is made up of people, 
flawed and broken, and sometimes a little too outspoken, judgmental and hypocritical, and I'm not trying to excuse these things, but when the final trumpet sings, the king is coming back for his bride, and I would rather stand with her than speak against her. So to the bride of Christ, I owe a thanks for loving the least of these, for looking after the orphans and widows, for every cup of water offered in the name of Jesus, for loving mercy, walking humbly, acting justly, to every pastor proclaiming the gospel, to every parent training their children in the word, to every man and woman who are laying down their lives for Christ, choosing life over death, rebelling against what culture tells us to be. You are the church. You are the bride of Christ. And to you, I say thanks. like that young man was reached out to by the bride of Christ I know there's going to be people in our church who are going to reach out to Case who got baptized at camp who doesn't go to church anywhere but I think he probably would but he lives all the way down in San Patricio how's he going to get up here I'll tell you how he's going to get here because the bride of Christ is going to go get him somebody I don't have a sign up sheet I don't know how it's going to work out I just know that you're good and beautiful I know that. And so I'd say to you, the good and beautiful bride of Christ, keep up the good work. Jesus is coming back soon enough to get us. And I'll tell you this, in the meantime, we represent a God who is mighty to save. Let's stand and let's sing to him. Everyone needs compassion, a love that's never failing. Let mercy fall.